We're studying a, a book uh, called the book of Proverbs. Uh, the series is entitled a little different, but it gets to the essence of the book. It's don't live stupid. Uh, we don't want you to walk in the path of and come to the end of stupid in your life. Uh, we've been looking at this book now for four weeks, and uh, just to kind of bring all of us back into uh, rhythm with it, uh, we have a book that comes before it called the Psalms. It's a big book. There's lots of them. In fact, the longest chapter in our entire Bible is Psalm 119, and that takes about seven days for some of us to read and get through it in our reading plan. Everything was going good till Psalm 119 came up in the suggested reading for the day, and then for a lot of us, we quit and go home because uh, a lot. Uh, some of you hadn't read a chapter book ever. Cliff Notes got you out of everything. So the idea of reading a chapter book that's really nine chapters in one, you know. Amen for Cliff Notes. Anybody get out of English because God gave us Cliff Notes? Anybody? If there were Cliff Notes in a movie, you could make it. Right? Like you'd probably get a 75 because she would sneak in questions that weren't in the movie. But still, you could, you know, get through it. Amen for the Cliff Notes. I, I was a Cliff Note student. That's how I like to, to go through things. That's why Mark's one of my favorite Gospels, because it's, it's the, let me get to the point. I'm not going like, to give you any extra details. I'm just going to tell you what happened. I'm going to tell you exactly how it happened, and we're going to move on. If you don't like it, go read Luke. Uh, <laughs> if you need more details, go read John. Uh, my, my point, though, is uh, the Psalms teach us in that book how to praise. They teach us how to pray. They teach us even how to lament. They teach you how to talk to God in hard times. They teach you that it's okay to have R-rated prayers in the presence of God. That, that sometimes it's like, where are you, God, is an okay prayer. So we learn all of that in the book of Psalms so that we can then turn to the book of Proverbs. And in it, we discover how to live. In life, you're going to need to know how to praise. In life, you're going to need to know how to pray. In life, you're going to need to know how to lament. You're going to need to talk to God in difficult times. But you also need to know how to live. And so God gave us the Proverbs, which are meant to be an applicable book that teaches us how to live a life Godward, how to live a life God's way. So let me ask you this question. Uh, so far as it be up to you, within the things you can control, how good do you really want your life to be? I guess we could ask the question about what is a good life, but I mean, not getting into that, how good do you want your life to be? At its end, what kind of legacy do you hope to leave? What kind of impact do you hope is left behind once your time here is done? How good do you want your life to be? Well, Proverbs 4 deals with how to, the how-tos of living. How to not get sidetracked. How to live a life that is Godward. How to live a life that finishes and doesn't just simply start. It breaks down into three admonishments, Proverbs chapter 4, the chapter we're going to study today. It breaks down into three admonishments. The first comes in verses 1 to 9. It communicates how to get going in life. How many of you have struggled to get started? Just getting going was a, a trouble thing. Maybe you can relate to Matthew McConaughey's uh, character in Failure to Launch. You, for whatever reason, just cannot launch. You can't pick a career. You can't get going in your life outside of, you know, the life that you had in childhood. So you failed to mature. You failed to get going and you're ashamed of it. You're frustrated by it, but you just can't keep going. Well, Proverbs 4 verses 1 to 9 is for you. Then in verses 10 to 19, we get, we learn how to keep going. Once you get going, how do you keep going? 
Because for some of us, the scariest thing that we have going in our lives is something that's going that we don't know how it started and we are scared it's going to stop going, but we don't know how to keep it going and keep it from stopping. Anybody there? That's verses 10 to 19. Then in verses 20 to 27, we learn how to not get sidetracked, how not to get distracted so that we can finish once it's going well. So how do you get going in life? Well, Proverbs 4 gives us advice. Proverbs 4 verse 1. My children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment, for I'm giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my instructions, for I too was once my father's son, tenderly loved as my mother's only child. My father taught me, take my words to heart, follow my commands and you will live. Get wisdom and develop good judgment and don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom for she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do and whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head and she will present you with a beautiful crown. Man, that sounds like a good life, a life that is crowned, a life that ends in goodness. How does it get going? Well, uh, in verses, in chapters one to chapter nine of Proverbs, we get several admonishments from a father to a son. Uh, So it's over and over again, a parent giving his advice to his child. Now, I I want you to consider uh, the weight of what this is saying and the weight of what it's inviting us into. If you're struggling to get going, the text opens up with, listen to my words, listen to my wisdom. So if you don't know something, according to the Bible, the way that you learn something you don't know is not you go out and try it until you fail and figure it out through failure, which is the American way. Nobody tells me anything. No one teaches me anything. We walk around and sing songs of delinquents who have failed to grow up and failed to launch about can't teach me, tell me nothing, and we celebrate it. Then we reward it and then give God credit for it, even though God wasn't in any of the process of it. And in the end, God will not be glorified in it, but he will actually have condemned it. So the way the Bible teaches us to learn is not go and be your own God. Go and be your own sage. Go and be your own mentor. Go and be wise and find your own truth. Instead, we learn from listening to wisdom. We learn from listening. We learn from listening. Now, for a lot of us, that's a really big problem. Because although you have two ears and one mouth, you speak twice as much as you listen. Therefore, your growth curve in learning and growing and getting going is slow because you would rather talk than listen And listening is the means by which we often grow in our understanding and wisdom to get going in life. You cannot learn from what you are not willing to listen to. For some of you, it's bare feet and a t-shirt on a preacher that has disabled you from listening. Therefore, if God were at work in the house, you can't learn in the house because you've eliminated me as a means for God to work through. See, here's the challenge. We have been made in the image of God. And while some of us are lost, God is still at work. And at times, when we listen, we can learn from people that we normally would believe to be foolish. We would normally overlook and dismiss. It's listening that allows us not to make assumptions which make out of us, just playing with the root of the word, 
which allow us to dismiss people that God may be working through. Keep in mind that in the gospel, Jesus said that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So it's often the things that when your eye looks at at it and would initially dismiss it, that God may be at work in that if you would listen, you could actually learn from. How many of us are not learning and are not getting going in life because we are not listening? You see, listening requires work. Notice the uh, admonishment in the second part of verse 1. Listen to when your father corrects you. Pay attention. If you've been a parent very long, you know that there are a lot of times where your words are going out of your mouth and your kid is nodding as if there is listening that is happening, but the lack of attention lets you know that they are not retaining the wisdom that you are imparting to them. Wisdom on how not to get put on restrictions. Wisdom on how they can have free time later in the day. Wisdom on the things that they need to do to help you keep the house going so that you don't lose your mind and go uh, to Wanda on your children later where they look at you like you're crazy when they are the reason for the craziness that has come out of you. If you've been married for a long time, there have been plenty of times where you've learned from your spouse that you're talking But they are not. (laughs) Therefore, any wisdom that could be coming from you in your life-learned, hard-earned lessons is not being imparted to them because they cannot listen. Therefore, they cannot grow. You see, you and I have to take the active role, if we want to be a person that gets going in life, of being a constant learner. And constant learners have to be active listeners. If you don't listen, you can't learn. And if you don't listen and you don't learn, then you don't learn from history, which means history then repeats itself. So instead of walking away from the path of the fools that have come before us, that have learned by God's grace and come out of it alive, we then walk the path of fools and end in foolish destinations only to blame and shake our fist at God and others for why they wouldn't warn us when it was our own ears that betrayed us. In marriage counseling, I often teach and sit with couples who struggle to communicate. They don't understand each other. They feel justified in their feelings. And they've demonized their spouse for not understanding their feelings. So an exercise we do is we begin to explain how communication works. I often tell them communication has not happened until the person speaking is both heard and understood by the person listening. I'll say that again because some of you didn't write it, and you should. Communication has not happened until the person speaking is both heard and understood by the person listening. It's not the listener's job to agree with what the speaker is saying, but if the listener is wise... It is their job to understand before they make a judgment on whether or not they agree with what the person that they are listening to is saying. What do we do? Why does marriage not work? Why do we continue to walk the path of fools in our marriages and in our parenting? Well, most of us allow the person speaking to get three words out. We immediately begin to make judgments based on what we think their body language or what we've already talked about a hundred times before means in the rest of the conversation. Instead of remaining active and paying attention as an active listener so that we could grow wise in understanding the person in front of us, we immediately begin to think of the insults that we're passive-aggressively in a bless-your-heart kind of way going to lie back. 
Listening no longer is a part of the conversation, therefore communication is not happening. So what ends up happening is an argument where a lot of verbal vomit comes out of two people's mouths, but no understanding, communication, or wisdom actually happen. A cold war begins to break out in the house. You find your own corners and your own TVs and your own Netflix subscriptions so that you can subscribe to them to ignore each other because you don't want to listen and learn from each other. If you're going to get going in life, you're going to have to learn to listen. Now, this relationship spoken of in Proverbs chapter 4 speaks of a father to a son. Now, I'm going to be honest. I have been a son and I am now a father. And for some reason, I know the battle of being frustrated in both chairs. I know the frustration of having a father who is wise, who delivered information to me in a way that I was not wanting it to be delivered. How many of you have missed out on an opportunity to grow wise because the deliverer smirked, had a body language or approach that you didn't agree with, and even though they were saying something that was truthful, you stopped listening and didn't learn from it because the way they delivered it to you wasn't the way that you liked for it to be delivered? Wisdom is not McDonald's. It is not have it your way. Sometimes wisdom knocks in a way that's aggressive and in a way that you don't want to hear. And sometimes it knocks gently in a way that you like to receive it. But nonetheless, when wisdom knocks, the wise open the door and they receive from it. Proverbs goes on to speak of people all throughout it that learn from people who give them instruction and feedback in various ways. Some in ways meant to demean them, meant to dismiss them. But because they're wise, they take what's meant to be their demise and they learn from it. And it becomes a hot coal on the head of those that meant to demean the person that they were delivering the wisdom to. The question is not, is wisdom speaking? The question is, are you wise enough to listen when it speaks? Are you wise enough to engage and be active and open up your ears to take it in? I know plenty of times where my dad's voice turned into that of the Charlie Brown cartoon, where it was nothing more than womp, 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 only years later, to now be in the seat of a father, have things that he said to me on repeat that I did not think stuck to me that now stick and come back out of me. Every one of you have likely had a revelatory moment where a parent or authority figure said something on repeat that you ignored and dismissed that now you speak as if it's Bible truth to the next generation. If they don't listen, you're going to grab the Bible and the belt and we will make sure you hear it <laughs> before we move you forward. The admonishment goes on, not just to, I'm your dad, listen, but it's, I was once a son. That's verses three and four. I was once a son. It brings granddad into the picture. And within it, a legacy of wisdom that the son's being admonished to learn from. The father's appeal to the son is, I once was you before I was the father over you. And your grandpa once was me as the father figure. And in that, he imparted to me wisdom that guided me, that kept me from a trap, that kept me from a dead end. And I'm admonishing you now on the lineage and heritage of wisdom that God in his goodness has given the family to learn from that wisdom and not go back down the path of a fool. Now, I want you to take a second and consider the most uh, terrible, I'm going to say a word, and I mean it this way, and some of you are going to think it's a cuss word, it's not, the most habitual sins in your life. I've been in accountability groups with guys that 
We're trying to run after Jesus and, and be men of God together for 19 plus years now. Since I was around 20 years of age, I got into my first accountability group. I had a guy look at me and said, in this room, boys, we can either save face or we can save our behind. But we can't save both. And I never will forget, it stuck to me. It was wisdom speaking. I remember there are certain places, certain groups of people that it is not my job to look great in front of. It's my job to look honest in front of. It's my job to be vulnerable in front of. It's my job to be whatever I am, wherever I'm at around them because they love Jesus, they love the church, and they love me in that order. And when I get around them, I want to allow them to see the stuff in my life that could be hindering me from wisdom's way in my life. Are you tracking with me? Here's the problem after 19 years of being in these groups. I struggle with about the same daggum three things that I struggled with 19 years ago. And there is nothing more humbling, nothing more humiliating than going into a group with a group of guys that have been praying actively for me and going, yep, same stuff. Still take the same temptation, the same bait, still have the same evil desires. I'm struggling through it. And it's not because, because some of you are like, well, maybe you ain't changed. Maybe you ain't saved. Maybe you done backslid. Slow down, thunder. I appreciate you being here, Holy Spirit, to help me out with everything. But I just need you to know that Paul in Romans speaks of a thorn that remains in his side to remind him of his need to depend on God. And for some of us, we got thorns that God gave us that are not there so that we can be defeated by them. But they remind us, don't get away from God. Don't, don't linger away from him. Linger around him. Don't not think that you can be independent from him. You're still weak and you need to depend on God. So I'm asking you, what's your thorn? Okay, what, what's the lingering thing that if, if God and his power would allow, you don't want it to go to the next generation? <clears throat> you got it? You got yours? Now, take that tone and understand it and overlay it into Proverbs 4, verses 1 to 9. Because what you have is a father who brings his father into the story because he has a downside and he is appealing with every bit of admonishment that he has for his son to listen and not walk down the path of foolishness that he's walked down. I don't want my son to carry my thorns, to struggle with my temptation and my sin. But the only way for my son and my, and my daughters to learn is by listening. If you want to learn, if you want to get going in life, you have to learn to listen. The text is bringing us into an invitation to learn from a history that comes before us. Since Jesus was raised from the dead, there have been around 60 generations on earth. Around 60 generations in. A generation is around 30 years. You get another generation that comes behind and another generation that comes behind. The invitation of Proverbs that we can apply in our life is to learn from those that have come before us. God works in people's lives, and every person in human history has a downside, but there also is the work of God in them. Christ in them is active, and my prayer is not that you learn from my downside, but that you learn from Christ in my downside, Christ in my strengths, Christ in my gifts, Christ in my life. That you would grow wise and not walk in the foolish traps that I've walked in. So if we're going to learn, we've got to learn from history. Let me give you some history. About 12 generations in, there was a guy named Augustine of Hippo. He looked like this. From him, we can learn some great things. Here's a good one. God has made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in him. That's some hard-bought wisdom. More than likely, 
Augustine thought that he could rest outside of God. So he thought that in the pleasures of the world, he would find rest and satisfaction. So he went and partied. He went and lived life apart from the presence of God. If you know his story and you know his history, it's quite a conversion story. Only to find restlessness as his only companion. So what's his wisdom that he imparts to us? Don't fall for the trap. Don't think that apart from God you will find rest. Instead, know that it is not in a promotion, that it's not in achievements, that it's not in new relationships, but it is only in the presence of God and in communion with God that you will find lasting peace and rest in your life. That's wisdom. Are you wise enough to learn from it? Are you going to walk the path of the fool that goes outside of God trying to find the opposite of what this hard-bought wisdom was given to us for? He also said something like this. There is no saint without a past. How many of you have heard this one? And there is no sinner without a... That's hopeful. That's hopeful. Because some of you got prodigals in your house and in your family and in your life. And it's easier to just assume that they ain't ever coming back and there's not ever going to be a comeback story than it is to assume that God at work in their life. He was one such saint who had a past, who was able to look at other people who were in the path of foolishness and say to them, there is a path that gives you a brighter future and a future that has hope. About 58 generations in, there was a guy named Billy Graham that was born. Any of you ever heard of him? He had a great southern drawl and a great southern accent. He looked like this, white-haired guy. He said this, The greatest legacy one can pass to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life. How many of you are so busy chasing cotton and paper that the only thing that you have to leave behind is a few dollars that they'll argue over and forget you once it's gone? You give 30 years of your life to paper. You make excuses for it. My absence is so that your life is better. Really. Really. There is a need for us to work as men. For us to provide for our families. There's a godly call that's tied to it. But there is a line and a tension where your absence is now an excuse for where you're replacing yourself in a spot where you're irreplaceable. How many of you have legacies of absence that you're leaving behind in the next generation? How many of you are born into a history not of wisdom, but a history of absence? You see, the the problem with the kind of wisdom, especially being from a father to a son, is that for a lot of us, We don't have a godly legacy that we walk in the line and lineage of. We have a godless legacy that we walk in the line and the lineage of. It reminds me of the book of Ruth. Any of you ever read the book of Ruth? Just looking to see if anyone's still hanging out with me as I stand up here and try to fight to submit to the Spirit to preach to you the Word of God. Anybody read the book of Ruth? Three three witnesses. Amen. In it, there's, there's this woman named Naomi. She has a husband that decides that what they need to survive is anything but the presence of God. So in a famine, he leaves the people of God in the presence of God and goes into the far-off land. And as a result, he dies. His sons die, who have married women from Moabite, which brings us to the namesake of the book, Ruth. And then they're in a difficult position. They're away from the people of God in the presence of God, in a far-off land, in a far-off place, widowed in a difficult position. 
So they make the journey the men won't make. They walk back to the presence of God and the people of God. Instead of trying to survive in the absence of God. See, for many of you, your life is never going to be fixed until you understand that it is not some quick promotion, some quick gift, some quick fix and miracle that's going to fix you. It is the presence of God and the lingering presence of God that you need in your life. That is the only salve. That is the only way that we have power. That is the only way that we have victory. It is in his presence. We've undervalued his presence. We've overvalued the things. Repentance and wisdom cause us to repent of valuing creation over creator and value being in the presence of the creator even if it costs us everything. So we're introduced in the book of Ruth. Let me get on with it. We're introduced in the book of Ruth and they get back to town to a guy named Boaz. Boaz's name literally means strong link. I didn't preach this in first service. You're getting it in second service because someone in here needed to hear it. And it's on the strong link that Naomi and Ruth get a fresh start. So there are times where you have a weak link in the family history. So God, instead of building on the weak link, starts over on the strong link, and he begins a godly legacy that had not existed in previous generations on a strong link that he makes and links it up. Now, a lot of you got excited, and you're like, yeah, I want to be Boaz. I want to be a strong link. Well, I got bad news for you. Ain't none of you Boaz. And the call of the text is not be Boaz. The call of the text is a forerunner to the greater Boaz. You may not have a great godly legacy like Billy Graham talks about leaving behind that you've walked into, but that doesn't mean that you've got to leave the next generation the same godless legacy. Instead, the greater Boaz, named Jesus, is a strong link. And the strong link has come and laid down his life and offered you the opportunity, no matter what your background is, no matter what your past is, to have a new legacy that's linked to his strong link. You don't need to be Boaz. The greater Boaz has already come. And if you come to Jesus, even though you come from absent fathers, you can be a present father and God can give you a godly legacy on the strong link of Jesus. Got to learn from history. That entire story came from history. It came from me reading a book. Some of you know more about Dungeons and Dragons and stupid video games and baseball cards and stats and the statistics of your sports teams than you know of the Word of God. Therefore, you do foolish things. Because you are not listening to wisdom, you're listening to fools who dress up like they're wise but have no substance to what's under the clothing. Hmm. 58 generations in, we got a guy named Billy Graham. Billy Graham went and did crusades. And one day, a young little boy named Tom Chambers went to that crusade. Uh, you might recognize the name, because that's my father. And you know something about my family. Uh, we left Scotland, apparently, because we were slave chambermaids. And we would rather die free than die turning down rich people's beds in Scotland. That's where the last name Chambers came from. 
So my great, 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 greats got on a boat, battled whatever you could battle, I don't know, scurvy, whatever. <laughs> what do you die of on the Oregon Trail? It wasn't the Oregon Trail, but you know what I mean. <laughs> they came over here and they got freedom, but freedom apart from God ain't free. And if you go and look at my family legacy and what we were born into, uh, we were more alcohol runners than godly Christian followers. We needed a strong link. And around age eight years old at the old Memorial Auditorium in downtown Greenville, South Carolina. Anybody remember the old Memorial Auditorium? I used to go to wrestling, and I saw DC Talk once there. My father heard the voice of wisdom knock on the door of his heart. And his life was changed, and my legacy was changed forever. What if you are the first to build on the strong link Jesus in your family's legacy? What if what God is doing in your life, single mom, is allowing something that was broken to be done away with so that it doesn't extend to the next generation through you? So that, single mom, he could build you on a strong link so that as generations are linked to you, they will not walk in the absence of God's goodness, truth, wisdom, and way. But they would walk in the example because of God's work in you of his wisdom, truth, and way. Hmm. We walk in the invitation of a history of wisdom. But if you're going to get going in life, it requires a growing ability to listen, learn, understand, and apply wisdom from God and neighbor. Are you tracking with me? Y'all want more? Here we go. Verses 10 to verses 19. At some point, I'll expedite this, and I will get you out of here in about 10 minutes. But if people want wisdom, we'll keep going. Verses 10 and verse 19. What happens when you start good and you struggle to keep going? How do you keep going? Well, verse, uh, verse 10 and 19 introduces us to a metaphor that comes up again in chapter 8 and chapter 9. And it's a comparison of two ways. One's wisdom's way, and one's a fool's way. And the question that's going to be asked over and over again over these next several chapters are, are you on the way of wisdom, or are you on the way of a fool? You can't do foolish things and expect wise results. You can shortcut your way to more money in this life, but you cannot shortcut yourself to wise. There's no devry two-year quick plan to becoming wise. It won't be found online. It, there, there's not a speed process to get you there. It's a lifelong journey. It's a seasoning like a fine wine. And so the question over and over again in verses 10 and 19 is, are you on the way of wisdom or are you in the way of the fool? Verse 11 brings it up and says, uh, pay attention to the way of wisdom. I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in straight paths. So you've got to learn the ways of wisdom if you're going to keep going on the way of wisdom. Verse 14 then compares it to the path of the wicked. It says, don't do as the wicked do and don't follow the path, the way of evil doers. So you've got options. You can listen to wisdom or you can listen to fools. And I'm just going to be honest with some of you. 
The fact that some of you listen to your fathers who do not know God and are so godless as they are and that you cherish their approval so much is a deadly, lethal combination in your legacy. There are some of you that listen to what is pounded on the chest as being manhood and you think that that is the image we walk in and are to walk after and all you're doing is raising up another generation of delinquency and godlessness that's going to come after you. This is not God's desire for you. God's desire would be that you would walk in wisdom's way, that you wouldn't walk in the path of evil doers. The theme goes on uh, all the way down to verse 18. Look at what it says. The way of the righteous, that walk in the way of wisdom, is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines even brighter until the full of day. Notice, here's the admonishment of these verses. Once you get going... You're listening and you're learning. You're going to get to a point where you forget wisdom. Like when you go into Walmart with a list and you forget the list and then you look at what you bought versus what you actually got and you go, how did this happen? When that happens to you, here's what verses 10 and 19 are encouraging. The admonishment begins in verse 10 and he says, My child, listen to me and do as I say. And you will have a long and good life. What's the key? You need to listen and then you need to remember. So you get going by listening. You keep going by remembering. Remember, there's two ways. And the decision you're about to make is going to lead you down a path. that's either wise or foolish. Light or darkness. And every decision sets your feet towards a path. So when you're about to make that decision and take a step, the question you should ask yourself is, is that step, verse 18, leading me towards the rising sun of the morning? It gets brighter and brighter with each step, wiser and wiser with each step. Or, verse 19, is it leading us away from the rising sun of wisdom down the path of darkness and foolishness? Remember, every decision is a path. Every path has a destination. And the choices you are making are either walking you down the path in legacy and gift of wisdom or down the path of fools. And here's what I scare and am scared most of. Some of you are walking down the path of foolishness. And it's just enough of not being destructive that you don't think you're in trouble. You're sitting here this morning thinking, I'm getting away with it. I'm doing it my way. I'm living life the way that I want by my rules, by my truth. No, you're not. You're on a path of a fool. And if God doesn't intervene and if you do not turn and repent, you are going to end in the destination of a fool. And, and I admonish you to turn. So how do you get going? Well, you listen. How do you keep going? You remember. Well, how do you not get sidetracked? Well, you pay attention to your body. You pay attention to your body. That's what verses 20 to 27 look at. There's multiple body parts that are mentioned. Let me read it to you as we close. It says this. uh, Number one, uh, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. 
How's your eyes? How's your heart? They might be pointing to the path of a fool or the path of the wise. Let's keep reading. For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your Guard your heart above all else. It determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse. How's your mouth? A lot of us apologize for our mouth. Instead of understanding that it's a symptom of the health of the heart. The heart's sick, so the mouth is profuse. And while everyone may laugh around you, it's pointing to a cancer that's growing inside of you. Now I get some of you are already offended because I just told you you need to stop cussing. Because your mouth honors God and dishonors God. I think it's Proverbs chapter 18. It says, from the mouth come both life and death. And some of you, you're speaking to a death that's already resting and growing within your heart. And you're laughing about it instead of knowing that that's a warning that you're on the path of a fool. How do you not get sidetracked? you got to guard your heart. That's the first thing. I'll, I'll, I'll try and systemize this a little bit better. Guard your heart. Why? Because when your heart sets its affection on something, it's so hard to resist it. I mean, how many of you have experienced this? Like, you just had to date that guy. Like, you had to. Like, and, and, and to, where, to where you become so, I, like, it doesn't matter that there were yellow flags. It doesn't matter that there's a wake of women behind them. It, it doesn't matter. You're going to change them. You're hearing testimony throughout the room of women who walk that path only to realize its destination. How many of you right now, you have houses cluttered with things that you set your heart on that were supposed to fix it? But if you had it and enough of it, then you could build a business, you could make yourself successful. You can be confident. You can be grounded. You got to guard your heart. Why? Because the heart loves to take the things that God made and turn them into the God that we worship. Romans says it this way For all of humanity has taken creation and worshiped the creation over the Creator. This is Romans 1 and what it's dealing with. So, how many of you have a heart that's set on creation above God? How many of you treasure something other than God as your greatest treasure and your heart's sick and you're in the hands of an enemy who is just literally using the heart's sickness to lead you further and further away from you hearing, knowing, and walking in the way of wisdom? If you want to be wise, you've got to guard your heart. Number two, if you want to be wise, you've got to avoid perverse talk. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 and 35, it says this. Uh, you brood of snakes, speaking to the Pharisees, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you... So that stuff coming out of your mouth, it's speaking to our hearts. And I'm just going to be honest with you guys. If I'm being fully transparent, there's a lot of uck in my heart. I'm a pretty impatient parent right now. 
Like God doesn't handle me the way that I've been handling my parenting calling. It's ugly. So my mouth expresses not life to my children, but death to my children. I'm impatient. I'm not trying to remind them of their redeemed identity in Christ as much as I should be. Oh, y'all ain't comfortable for church where the preacher starts talking about what he's not doing right. Oh, this is real church. Enough, let's cut the crap. So I, I, I tend to find myself with my mouth speaking things that are not life-giving and then dismissing them as problems that others have created for me. Not knowing that that kind of speech is not coming from them, but it's coming from my heart. And perhaps my heart is not rested and in communion with God, therefore the things that are coming out of it are not good. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Avoid perverse speech. Last thing I would encourage you, don't allow your eyes to wander because where your eyes are set, your feet walk. Where your eyes are set, your feet walk. That's what we see in verses 25 to 27. Try to expedite the process here a little bit for us. Look at what it says. I'll read it to you. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out straight paths for your feet. Uh, There's an old TV show uh, about football in Texas. It said, clear eyes, full hearts, can't can't lose. No one saw it. Okay. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. It's called Friday Night Lights. I'm not saying you should watch it. It's simple behavior of simple teenagers that got treated like adults. Where were the parents? That's what I want to know. Where were the parents in the show? I don't, I don't know. My point, my point is when your eyes are clear and you have clear vision, the path gets a lot easier to walk. You can walk paths that are rocky and treacherous if your eyes are clear and they can see. It's the rock and the pebble that you don't see that you step on that causes you to stumble. But when your eyes are set on the main thing, then it gets a lot easier to walk in difficult things. You and I are to set our eyes on eternity. I'm throwing that out at the end of a sermon, and I really should unpack it, and I won't. I'm not going to preach you, but that should matter more than it does in the majority of the way that we're living right now. Like what's there in eternity should matter more than it likely does in the way most of us are living. Set your eyes on eternity, on eternal things. Because your eyes set the path of your feet. Everything was going well in King David's life until his eyes moved away from God and onto a woman bathing on the roof. How about you? How are your eyes? How's your heart? If we want to know how your heart is, how's your speech? If you haven't gotten going, the way that we can start is by listening, not to foolish, quote-unquote, wisdom, but to wisdom. Godly people and the Word of God in godly people that have gone before us so that we can walk in wisdom right now. Have you gotten stuck, sidetracked? Well, remember wisdom. Remember the gospel. Remember it's not by your works or effort 
or sweat equity, that you got in the right relationship with God. And it is not your works and sweat equity that keeps you walking with God. It is His grace and His mercy and His presence. If you're a follower of Jesus, He will never leave or forsake you. So that means though your eyes may have looked off or away from Him, He has not turned away from you. He has not rejected you. He loves you. He cares for you. His grace is sufficient for you. So remember Him and begin to live again. Remember Him. Remember Him. Listen to him. And in it, may you walk in the way of wisdom. Our prayer team is going to be here. If we can pray for you, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, it says if you confess with your mouth that Christ Jesus is Lord, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our iniquity and all of our sin. That's in Romans chapter 9. You can go and fact check me on that. My point in bringing it up is for many of you today, you sit here and you have a life, but it is not full. Not full is sense of busy, not full as in the sense of it's filled with things and people, but it's still empty. It's still shallow. Well, that's because all of life begins and ends with God. And God has a desire that you would walk in life with Him. You were designed to walk under His authority and in it find a fullness of life that He describes in John 10 as an abundant life. And if you don't have that abundant life, it may be because you don't have Him. But He's offered Himself to whosoever would believe. And if you do not have a relationship with him today, we would invite you to come forward and leave your old life behind and receive new life in Christ Jesus. If you're stuck, I invite you to bend your knee in repentance and remember that his grace is still enough and it's not your promises that are gonna give you his presence so that you can walk forward into a new future. It is his faithfulness that has promised his presence that is ready to walk with you in spite of your inability to walk faithfully with him. Well, I could go all day today. You come as the Lord leads. In Jesus' name, amen.